When the searingly furious film La M, or The Hate in English, was released, it put police brutality in France in front of a global audience. The film showed a group of young men living in the concrete, towering suburbs on the outskirts of Paris, known as Les Banlieues. Mais l'important, c'est pas la chute. C'est l'atterrissage. The friends are from poor immigrant families, and one of them is in intensive care after being beaten by the police. The film was so powerful and had such a huge impact that the Prime Minister of France at the time made his entire cabinet watch a screening. But almost 30 years later, has anything changed? The French policeman has now been charged following the killing of a 17-year-old boy who was shot dead. This is a new flashpoint built on old wounds driven by historic senses of racial inequality and injustice. France is a segregated country in which there is two parallel societies, one which lives in the suburbs from northern Africa and Africa, and a very conservative and protected white elite that lives in the centre of the city. And in response to the killing, France erupted. Angry crowds launched fireworks at police and set fire to buildings. Some protesters used a hand grenade and the police responded with tear gas. The interior minister deployed 40,000 police officers, not just in Paris, but around the country. We understand now that nearly 700 people have been arrested overnight. There's talk the French government may be forced to call a state of emergency. So how did we get here? What was the spark that lit fire to France? And can the relationship between the police and some of France's most disenfranchised citizens ever be repaired? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, why France is burning in anger. My name is Peter Conradi. I'm based in Paris as the Europe editor of the Sunday Times. Peter, we spoke to you a couple of days ago about Russia, and now here you are suddenly with a story on your doorstep. You've spent the weekend out reporting on the streets of Nanterre and Paris. Just give us a sense of what it was like. It was pretty hairy. The riots started in the suburbs and then they kind of spread to the centre of Paris, parts of many, many other cities. I was caught up one evening in Nanterre immediately after uh, a memorial march that had been held for the dead boy. I 
I suddenly found myself caught between a crowd of demonstrators and the police. The tear gas was starting to fly. I've been in a number of demonstrations and you kind of find yourself looking around for for an exit route. You know, the worst thing to do is to be squeezed between two rival camps. I managed to to get out completely unscathed. Um, Some of the photojournalists in particular tended to stay later into the evening to try and get the more violent action, found themselves in very, very difficult positions. And not just because they were caught between police and demonstrators, but also because the demonstrators themselves were quite hostile towards them. A French photographer called Nathan Lenné, who took some extraordinary pictures for the Sunday Times, he was basically set upon by a group of demonstrators. Wow. He got off quite lightly. He's with another photographer who got quite badly beaten, who he had to take to the French equivalent of A&E. These kids, and they are mostly kids, are very angry. They don't like any kind of representative of the state. And somehow they see journalists as, as part of that. So all quite scary stuff. And as everything is, is kicking off, did you speak to people who were out protesting? Did you get a sense of, of what they were saying? I went on a peaceful demonstration, what the French call a marche blanche, like a white march, after the shooting. And that was a good opportunity to talk to people. And they were just very angry. They felt that a young man had been shot, as they saw it, for no reason. And they felt that this sort of fitted in with their experience of being picked on by the police. This demonstration is a response to the injustice. Young people just want to live in peace. They want to live in serenity. The actions of the police cause violence. But it's very difficult, to be honest, to talk to anyone. Uh, The last thing people want to do is talk to you and explain why they're throwing a paving stone or why they're setting fire to a bin or why they're uh, throwing a Molotov cocktail in some cases. Peter, over the weekend, you also attended the funeral of the boy who was killed that began all of this. And that seems like a very different scene. Just describe what it was like being there. The burial was held in a cemetery only a few miles or so away from the high-rise towers where the dead boy lived and where he actually died. It was a kind of fairly leafy quiet area. The mood was very calm. The mourners there were predominantly young men, mostly North Africans, Algerians, Moroccans, Tunisians, in terms of ethnic origin in Africa. I stood out as a late middle-aged white man, like a, like a sore thumb, I suppose. And there were kind of people were looking at me, suspecting that I was, I was probably a journalist. At one point, someone accused me of, of secretly filming, and I said, well, which I, of course I wasn't and had no means of doing so anyway. Um, so it was, it, was, it was slightly tense, but I think very wisely the police kept well away, because had the police been there, it would have been seen as a provocation and things would have ended badly. And so, you know, it was a rare moment of calm in what was a very violent week, basically. And Peter, just take us back to how all of this began. It all started with a shooting which 
you know, rather like George Floyd in America, people have been able to see because it was it was filmed. Just describe the scene. Describe what actually happened. Yeah, it began just before eight o'clock in Nanterre, which is a, a suburb of high-rise flats just on the western edge of Paris, just beyond La Défense, which is a bit like France's is Canary Wharf. And there was a bright canary yellow AMG Mercedes, very powerful little car, going very fast through the streets. At the wheel was a young man. There were two other young men in the car with him. A couple of police motorcyclists caught sight of this car and they started to chase it. At one point, it stopped at traffic lights. They caught up with it. They banged on the window. The driver then drove off while the signal was red. They gave chase again. So, you know, this was all going on for about three quarters of an hour or so during the morning rush hour. And at one point, the car was forced to come to a halt because it got stuck in a traffic jam. Now, what happened next is a matter of dispute. What is clear is that the two motorcyclists got off their bikes. They kind of came up on the driver's side of the car. One of them lent his elbow on the bonnet. Certainly, according to the audio on this, the video that, that a passerby took, we could hear them shouting at him, stop, stop. We also hear a voice saying, you are going to get a bullet in the head. What happens then? The police account claims that at that point, the boy just put his foot down and drove off. And as he did so, the policeman fired a single shot. intended to aim at his leg, but that somehow the forward movement of the car meant the barrel of the gun went up and he actually hit him in the chest. Now, another boy who was in the front passenger seat, he gave a very different account. He said that the policeman leant into the car and started beating the boy with the butt of his pistol. The boy started to panic. His foot came off the brake pedal. And because it was an automatic car in gear, the car lurched forward, at which point the policeman shot him. So which of that version do we believe? In any case, the car hit uh, another piece of, sort of street furniture not that far away. The two policemen came over, tried to revive him, but to no avail. And a few minutes later, he was pronounced dead. us a bit about the victim, the boy who was shot. What do we know about him? He is fairly typical of his generation. That is, his grandparents came from Algeria to France sometime in the 1960s or the 1970s. They settled in a place called Suresnes, which is another suburb very close to Nanterre. We're not quite sure how many children they had. They certainly had a daughter. Munia, the boy's mother, she seems to be fairly kind of integrated into French society. She works in a hospital. She gave birth to a single son. She appears to have become divorced when he was very young. And she then brought him up alone. I, I, I managed to speak to people that, that knew him or knew the family during a, a march, a memorial march that was held for him. And they were always saying he was a good boy. They were a nice family. They also stressed that he didn't have a criminal 
record, to which the response is yes, but he also did have a number of run-ins with the law. I think more than a dozen occasions, most recently, the previous weekend, when he was caught for precisely the same offence, that is, refusing to stop when told to do so by the police, and he was due to appear in juvenile court in September. And, you know, there were the, the other kind of familiar stories. He appeared to have largely dropped out of school. He spent a lot of time delivering pizzas, made money from that. Also, quite unusually, he played rugby league as part of a kind of an initiative that was set up by a local charity aimed at helping kids who were sort of struggling at school. And that appeared to go well. People there spoke very highly of him. So when this 17-year-old is killed by police in this tragic incident, it sparks a furious reaction across the country, really. I mean, just describe how that spread over the next few days. It spread in stages. What we saw initially that evening in Nanterre, the suburb where all this was happening, was immediate protests carried out by people who were at school with the boy or knew the family, or in any way sort of identified with the kind of situation that he was in. You know, it's, it's joyriding, what the French delightfully call a rodeo, is not rare particularly in these parts of Paris. You know, a lot of kids would say, well, he was driving a car. Okay, he didn't have a license. It wasn't his car. But, you know, everyone does that. We're not contradicting the state. We're not contradicting the legal or police procedure. Yes, he was driving a car without a license. He tried to flee. But he should not be killed. That's all. They shouldn't have fired. There was kind of a lot of sympathy for him and a lot of sort of feeling when the police stop us, they're always heavy handed with us. They're always tougher with us than they would be with white kids. Because we've got to bear in mind that this area is almost entirely North African. And within the same police, there is racism and we absolutely have to fight that. And as long as these questions are not laid out on the table and not taken seriously, of course, it will not go well in working class neighbourhoods. So initially, the violence was there, but very, very quickly, it began to spread across the country to comparable suburbs where people could identify with Nail. The unrest quickly spread across France. From Lille in the north to Toulouse in the south. Looters don't even wait for the cover of darkness. Brazenly, they attack this Strasbourg apple store. Violence then began to erupt in the city centres. Last night, the most violence was seen in Marseille, France's second largest city. Protesters hurled stones at police cars there and massed youths torched trash cans as police used tear gas to try to clear the crowds. And I think what was happening then was... This was no longer the kids from the suburbs. This was a mixture of other people, some of whom are just really angry about authority, angry with the state, angry with the government for all manner of reasons, who never kind of miss an opportunity to go out and, and protest. There were others who saw it as an opportunity to loot. And there were other people who see a fight going on. They want to join it. Overnight, well over 800 arrests were made 
and at least 200 police officers injured, leaving France in the grip of a national crisis. This after more than 1,300 people were arrested last night alone, with 45,000 police officers on the streets. A third of the 900 people arrested last night were under 18, some as young as 12. And Peter even managed to hit the house of the mayor. Tell us about that. Yes, there was a mayor of Les Des Roses on the outskirts of Paris. And in the early hours of Sunday morning, people sort of rammed a car into the garden wall. The mayor himself wasn't there. His wife was there. Son was there. The wife and son tried to get away. They genuinely thought they were going to be attacked, possibly killed. There is no doubt that he wanted to burn down the house. From the moment they realized that there were people inside because the lights were on, they unleashed a wave of fireworks that was completely insane. The wife, I think, broke her leg as she jumped over the garden wall to get away. This was an extraordinary case in which really shocked people, but it followed attacks on the, the, the town halls themselves. And there were a huge number of mayors who were very important figures in the local community. They really feel threatened because they're seen as a representative of the state and they're being turned into targets. Coming up, does France have a fundamental problem with race? And how damaging is all of this to President Macron? That's in just a moment. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Peter, you said it's it's almost a very French response. Things do turn into violent riots quite quickly. And some of this does seem to be an attack on the state, as much as it is on police brutality, perhaps. But just give us a sense, what's been going on in France recently? Why were people so ready to agitate? I've lived in France for five years, and what, what strikes me is quite how ready 
the French are, not only to take to the streets, but also to turn violent when they are on the streets. What is the reason for this? There's, there seems to be a kind of a strange underlying anger in France. There is a wonderful expression in French to be en colère. Je suis en colère. I'm angry. And people, all sorts of groups of society pronounce themselves to be angry. Young people are en colère. The police are en colère from time to time. Medical workers are en colère. You know, there's this feeling of discontent. And this feeling appears to have grown quite dramatically during the presidency of Emmanuel Macron, who's been in power since 2017. So a year or so after he came to power, we saw the first big explosion of this with the, the gilets jaunes, the kind of the yellow vests. These were people in the provinces who were very heavily dependent on their cars for getting around, who were angry because the, the government wanted to raise the tax on diesel for ecological reasons. The next stage, I suppose, was unrest over Macron's pension reforms. He's planned to increase from 62 to 64 the pension age, which went down very badly in France for various reasons. Again, we saw a lot of peaceful protests. But again, when dusk fell, they would turn violent. And what is happening now, in a sense, has been following that same pattern. And I think in this, one's also got to examine the role of the police. The initial problem, one could say, the way that uh, Niall was challenged, he was shot, says a lot about a certain degree of trigger happiness, I suppose, on the part of some police. And you then get also to the way that police handle this rioting, which is in a very confrontational kind of way. There is no attempt made by the police to engage with the demonstrators. It's a little bit of a cliche almost in Britain, the policeman or woman with their sleeves rolled up, jacket off, mingling with people at Notting Hill Carnival or whatever. There is none of that in France. I mean, one just sees at the slightest width of trouble, huge columns of police vans driving through the city. I don't know. I mean, they, they come out, they've got the complete gear, shields, helmets. Of course, they need all this for their protection, but this almost creates a barrier between them and the crowd. The crowd then retaliate. The police respond in kind, and one sees clips from time to time of just gratuitous violence on the part of the police, uh, picking people out of the crowd and wow. just whacking them. So, Peter, there's a, lot, there's a lot happening that is making this much worse. There is also, though, surely a race dimension to this, and it is something that France has had a problem with in the past. Tell us a bit about that. There really is. I mean, the people who, particularly on the right, who want to see this purely as a law and order issue, they say, we can't understand what's going on. We can't understand why these people are so unhappy. The government has poured over the years millions and millions of pounds into these suburbs. They've rebuilt them. Why aren't these people happier? To which the retort is, we're still treated as second-class citizens. You know, you can be born in Nanterre, or you can be born in any suburb like that, mm. of North African origin, yet you are still seen as being an outsider. It's this dreaded, where are you really from question. I had a very illuminating discussion with the son of a friend. He's a white young man, about 17, the same age as the boy who was killed. He has white friends. He has North African friends. Sometimes he goes out with the white friends. They have no problem whatsoever with the police. 
other occasions, he goes out with the North African friends and surprise, surprise, they're doing the same things, but the police stop them, yeah. question them for no reason. I had a very interesting discussion with uh, an author called Valentine Gendreau, a, a, in fact, a journalist, a young, a young white French journalist who went undercover a few years ago, joined the police and just witnessed on, you know, not all these officers, but a number of his fellow policemen, just quite how differently they treated people from ethnic minorities from the way that they treated young whites. The French police unions have a different take on the matter. Thierry Clare, the deputy secretary general of one of the country's main police unions, dismissed claims that the police had a problem with racism. No, the French police are not racist. There can be some behaviour which is on the borderline, and some officers have been sanctioned, sometimes sacked, for such acts. But it's something that is marginal, like it happens in any corporation or institution. There has always been a question of how France approaches race. France officially doesn't really acknowledge difference in the way that here we kind of celebrate it. We have a sense of multiculturalism. Just tell us a bit about France's background with race. Yeah, France has gone down, I think, a very different path from Britain. And one can see why they've done that. They have said, essentially, anyone who is in France is French. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter what colour you are. We're all the same. I think one could almost call it a kind of an official colour blindness. Now, in theory, this sounds perfect, but the flip side of that is that if discrimination does exist, which it undoubtedly does, it's very difficult for the French state to tackle it because, first of all, they don't have the statistics. There, there's a bar on collecting official statistics on race and, and, and religious lines. And also, there's just broadly an unwillingness, I think, to accept it, which makes it very difficult for authorities to take action to prevent it. And Peter, what's President Macron's approach been during this whole crisis? He could see quite quickly how things were going. He knew that he'd need to calm things down. So his initial response was to condemn the shooting, but also to say that it was unacceptable. There is an unacceptable exploitation of the death of a teenager, which we all deplore. This time should be about contemplation and respect. I strongly condemn those who are using this situation to try and create disorder and target our institutions. Now, the danger of saying it was unacceptable is that you are immediately saying it was wrong and that the policeman shouldn't have shot the boy, uh, which is obviously the subject at the moment to a, an inquiry, there will be a trial and so on. So the effect of that was to almost inflame passions in the suburbs, because in a sense, this was the president saying it was wrong. It certainly antagonized his opponents on the right, who said, well, actually, you shouldn't be condemning the shooting, you should wait for the result of the investigation. In the meantime, you should be condemning the rioting. The words expressed by the president are really excessive and I think irresponsible. Is the act inexcusable? Is the act inexplicable? That's for the judiciary to decide. 
And so as the week went on, he sort of shifted more to condemning the rioting. At the same time, he's obviously said that further attempts have to be made to tackle problems, the underlying causes of the discontent. But, you know, we've been here before, back in 2005, there were very serious riots, which went on for weeks and weeks, which were prompted by the death of two young men who were fleeing from police. Their names, Ziad and Buna, both died by electrocution after climbing onto a transformer while trying to escape a police check. They took refuge in an electricity substation and they got electrocuted. That led to rioting and that also led to demands for change. The situation became so tense that then-President Jacques Chirac declared a rare state of emergency. Here we are almost 20 years later, and those same problems don't really seem to have been addressed. And how damaging do you think all of this will be to President Macron? He hasn't been very popular since he was re-elected just over a year ago. Ultimately, he was elected because the person standing against him in the runoff was Marine Le Pen, the far-right leader. And a lot of people, particularly on the left, voted for Macron because they dislike Marine Le Pen. So he's quite hated, I think. The degree of anger, hostility towards him that one sees at some of these demonstrations, the graffiti, bring out the guillotine for Macron, hang Macron, it's all very nasty stuff. And he can't stand again in 2027 when his term runs out. And we don't know who will be the candidate from the centre, which essentially he is from. We do know, however, that Marine Le Pen will be standing again for the far right. And if things continue like this, this is really going to help her. This is really going to play to her because there are a lot of people who are looking at this with a degree of horror and are saying, we just need someone who can restore order, who's not trying to balance different forces, but just goes in hard and clamps down. And I think for them, that will be Marine Le Pen. And Peter, in terms of the protests, you've lived through many of these before. We've now had the family of, of Nahel calling for the riots to stop. Um, we've had even the French football team calling for people to stop going out on the streets. How do you think it'll end? It's, it's very difficult to predict. I mean, summer is coming. Maybe some people who would otherwise be rioting will be going off on holiday, which tends to kind of calm things down in France. Although, yeah. as someone pointed out to me, the people rioting here, the people that live in the suburbs, they can't actually afford to go away on holiday. The previous riots in 2005 went on for a long time, and they also went on in like October, November, when it was awful weather. Now, to put it slightly flippantly, is is perfect rioting weather. France tends to always go a little bit crazy in the summer anyway. So, you know, it's not suddenly going to stop. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Peter Conradi, Europe editor at The Sunday Times. You can find all of Peter's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producers today were Olivia Case and Sam Chantarasak. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.